0: Welcome to Speak Up Talk Radio. I am your hostess, Pat Rulo, and right now I have a special author to share with you. She is Chandra Moyer. Chandra is a speaker, author, life coach, and a decorated former Army officer. For three decades, she has empowered women through coaching, conferences, healing retreats, and workshops. She is the recipient of the FBI Director's Community Leadership Award for her child trafficking prevention work. She is the author of the novel titled, I Met Her Before, and the memoir, Tragically Taken. A survivor of incest and complex trauma, Chandra has overcome insurmountable challenges to become the woman she is today. After her recovery, she became a healer, leading others out of the darkness and into the light. As an ordained minister, she launched a ministry to help other abused women. She shares her story to inspire women to overcome obstacles to be the best version of themselves. She is passionate about social justice and helping others find freedom through hope and truth. A wanderlust at heart, Chandra has traveled broadly to over 40 states and 20 nations. Meeting people from all over the world is the most rewarding part of her travels. She is a mother of three adult children. She loves spending time with her growing family and her grandchildren. She lives in Virginia with her husband and her fur baby, Nyla. And we have a lot to unpack, if you haven't been able to tell already. So welcome to the network, Chandra. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm excited to have you as well. There is so much to talk about, so... Let's just dig right in. We're going to start with your book, and then I'm sure we will wander into other conversations. So um, let's talk about the book. I Met Her Before is the title. Give us just a little look into the book.
1: Well, it's about Marcia, had beautiful kids, a promising career, and a doting husband. And her whole life was built around the military. Um, when her husband, Tony, was uh, posted to Hawaii, the couple adopted two foster children, And when Jenna, one of the children, showed signs of trauma from sexual abuse, Marcia and Tony wanted to help her. And unfortunately, social services pulled the children from the couple's home and buried the case instead of offering a solution. And what that did, unaware of hidden trauma, uh, the child's tragic exit activated a chain of events in Marcia's life it shook her foundation and awakened memories of sexual abuse in her own life that had been suppressed. And so it was a trigger. And and that led her on a journey to uncover the truth and reconnect
0: with the frightened child who repressed what happened to survive. So I'm thinking that this book obviously stemmed and grew from some of your own personal uh, childhood journey uh, and experiences what was that was that is that the way it happened um, did you decide to put or create a fictional book so that you could explain some of the things that happened to you maybe explain how it came about
1: yes um, initially I really started writing this is my second book my first book tragically taken was a memoir, and I thought I was going to write another memoir. But as I started writing um, the story, I realized it was very challenging. And I wrote this book because I didn't have any resources when I went through my whole experience. And I felt alone, and I didn't really want anyone else to go through that. So I wrote it in a fiction genre, hoping that it will reach more readers, actually. Um, you know, fiction is a big thing. They have book clubs and things like that. And so I even put discussion questions in the back. I have resources in the book. So it's also a, um, a good book for book book clubs. And um, so I decided to write it as a fiction, especially after the Me Too movement. And I sensed it was time to really um, go into detail and depth with my story because so many people were coming forward, right, with their stories for the first time whispering you know me too and i wanted to give them a resource of hope and a healing a path to healing because that first step is important to whisper you know that happened to me too but then we need to go farther and and go through that healing process to live that fulfilled life and so that's kind of the motivation behind my book Mm -hmm. you know i've done so much ministry and and, uh, coaching and uh, counseling with uh, abuse survivors, that I was able to tap into their stories, if that makes sense, as a resource in developing, helping to develop characters. And um, and that was a great help and tool because there's a difference writing a memoir in fiction. In fact, I hired a development editor because I had no clue really how to do this. and um, And so she helped me. You know, there were some things I pulled. Uh, from my own story, absolutely. And, but the thing with fiction that's so creative that I love about it is I can blend characters. You know, I can blend interests from different people and create a character, right? So that fiction gives you that creative license. And, um, and I'm so glad I chose to go this route versus the strip. Memoir. You know, I'm not someone famous, right, so I feel like if I was a big name person, the memoir might be the way to go, but mm-hmm. um, I'm finding that the fiction, uh, and, and also, you know what I'm also finding that people are saying, reading it, they're like, I see myself in the story, mm-hmm. and I think in, in the fiction, it gives you just a little distance, even when they're reading parts, did this really happen? You know, and it might be even harder for them to read some of those parts knowing that really did happen, mm. that makes sense.
0: <laughs> I'm glad that you got a good response from people. This it, came out when? Uh, it came out in April, this this year, Just, April. That's what I thought. Yeah. It was, it's fairly recent, fairly recent. How long yeah. did it take you to put this together, to write it? You know, I tell people it's been 60-plus years in the oh, making. I, I, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but really, actually,
1: I started writing it. It took me about three years mm-hmm. to write it, and um, and, I, and what I did was, I had journaled so much during my own healing process, so I went back, I had books of journals, and I went back to read through and pull things out, because, you know, I can't remember everything, and I found that very, very helpful mm-hmm. in, in putting the, some of that stuff in the story. So journaling was such a wonderful tool for healing for me and it also helped in the process of writing this novel.
0: Now you went through um a time where you kind of blocked out what happened to you as a young girl. Yeah. Almost almost in amnesia, I guess. That's probably the body the body's way of protecting itself. Is that a common thing? Is that does that commonly happen to those who have experienced trauma, especially at a younger age?
1: Yes, that's what I, in my research and what I'm finding, the younger the child is, the more apt they're to dissociative and to amnesia. And, uh, and my abuse started, my dad, um, I, I say sexual abuse, but I say sexually assaulted because that's what it really is mm-hmm. at his age of two, mm. and it lasts 14 years. Oh, my God. So that's why it's complex PTSD. And um, so I had no memories. Uh, my husband met me. We met in college. I mean, I looked like any other girl that's excelling. I was an overachiever. Um, I had no, quote, symptoms or signs that looked like that I had gone through something like that. And I think that's a kind of a myth that people have a lot of times. You look like that or, you know, you're not going to function well because you've gone through that kind of trauma. Surprisingly, there are a lot of high-functioning people that have gone through devastating situations. Such a sexual assault and still managing to function in life, which is to me says a lot about the capacity of the brain, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, so, yeah, I just it, and and like anything else, what people don't realize what a trigger is. I just kind of want to share a little bit about this. I had a trigger in my uh, mid 30s over a tragic loss, it was a tragedy. And that was a trigger that caused my first flashback. Oh. That indicated to me that something was wrong. That something happened, possibly to me as a child. Up until that point, if you had met me, I would have said I came from a perfect family. I'd supported
0: that. Fam- I mean, I'd really created a family to survive. Mm. This is just fascinating to me that all of those years later, you're still functioning, thinking that everything was fine, and then something, as you say, triggered you. And we hear that word a lot. So what happened after that? How did that come about so that you had a full realization of what happened? Well, shortly after the children were taken,
1: I was really just lying down to take a nap. And all of a sudden, I, I wasn't asleep yet. I just began to smell. Um, I began to feel small. That's the only way I can think about it. And I felt like I was transported back in time. That was a six-year-old girl in my bedroom. And I felt like someone was getting me to come in and do something terrible to me. And in this this whole flashback scene, I became frozen. So here I'm an adult, but I felt like a child, couldn't move my body. And in my mind, I'm saying, you know, Lord, Lord, help me. you're trying to get out of this state that I was in. And finally, I was able to get up, and I, I was very shaky, and I walked downstairs, and I told my husband, I said, I think something, and I'm sobbing now, I'm just really, my emotions is just like a, a damn burst, and I'm sobbing, and I said, I think something terrible happened to me as a child that I can't remember and um and from then i began to ask questions we were getting ready to move and so some things i had to put on hold i had you know two kids i was taking care of but i did go home and uh, ask some questions mm-hmm. i wanted to find out like if anything happened to me and of course the first person you go often you know is your mother and uh and when i asked my mom only thing she told me was that I was almost kidnapped as a child oh. when we lived in the Philippines. Oh. And, um, and I tell you, the mind is something else because for 30 plus years, I always told the story that my sister was almost kidnapped and I saved her. Oh, I had the story wrong. And that shook me because yes. I'm thinking, how could I actually get something? I was about second grade, something so, you know, tragic, you know, traumatic that I'd forget, and then I would superimpose on her. So then that began stirring again, like, but it would take me, and you ask me, I didn't get help right away. Mm-hmm. With all this happening, and, uh, you know, first of all, I'm African-American, and I, I saw none of that model in my family. Nobody went to therapy, right? And I was raised in a uh, very dysfunctional family. My dad was an alcoholic. And he ruled the roost, so to speak, and domestic violence. So nobody went anywhere for help. You know, you didn't talk about your problems. And if, if you did, it was dismissed, right? So as a child, what does a child do? I tell this, to, I, you know, I say to people, I said, if you're in an environment, a young child, and something terrible's happening to you or you're witnessing something, but everybody walks around and acts like after the incident, nothing happened. That creates a belief system in you. First of all, you can't trust your own beliefs or your own, uh, reality. And so you either create, create one or you, there's different ways of coping to, to, um, self-protect. And so my way of self-protecting was the, uh, discussions of amnesia that I can block out. The only thing I can remember, save time for me. Funny, I can always remember running through the jungles in the Philippines and playing with friends outside and things like that. But when it came to inside the home, I don't have any memories or very little. The brain has a capacity, but you know, uh, what's the, the book called? The body keeps score. I can't remember the author. Mm-hmm. So the brain, but my body never forgot. Right. So your brain and your body, and so the memories are lodged. The trauma is still lodged in your body until it's released. And over time, I I think for my, you know, when I finally went to a therapist, I was going through this probably for two, three years, so I finally went to therapy because I finally really got bad and my husband looked at me and said, you got to get your ass some help.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) He was was at wit end. And I finally did, but it still took a lot of coaxing. I mean, I had a friend that went with me, at, you know, I was scared to death to do something like that. Because in my perception of that, perceiving you're weak if you go get help.
0: You know, we don't talk about things. You just put it aside and keep moving on with life. Isn't that interesting then that through your whole life you you use the word of being an overachiever? Isn't that also fascinating that that's how you approached life yeah yeah Mm -hmm. you know and if someone
1: ever told me i couldn't do something i would just prove them wrong oh yes i can (laughs) and i would
0: and you did yeah Yeah, that
1: that was another drive but after over time like this when i finally went to therapy the guy said to me That what I was going through was not normal. He says, usually women, things start unraveling mid, late 30s, early 40s. You've been able to function all this time. You've had the energy to keep the memories suppressed, to do life, take care of the kids, wash the dog, you know, work. You have all the energy. But as you age, you don't have as much energy to keep the memories repressed, the body, and then to do all of life. Mm -hmm. So that's why they start bubbling up. And you never know how they're going to bubble up. <clears throat> right. Right. You know, you can go on as on with life and, and it just, you know, your past invades your present. And it turns your whole life upside down because you can't control it. Right. You really can't control it. And you're used to controlling your world. This is something you can't control. And I think that's why it's so scary. You know, a lot of people have a hard time going on this path of healing.
0: I get that. Your your work in child trafficking prevention, that came Mm -hmm. after this realization? Yes. I mean, a
1: number of years. I was mid-30s. I was in my 50s when I started the anti-trafficking work. Okay. And I really, and how I got involved with that, I was actually ministering in Uganda. And I was working with an organization rescuing kids from LRI soldiers. And I did a lot of ministry, and when I came out of that, I really wanted to learn about human trafficking. And, of course, I thought it was just overseas. But what I learned was I met trafficking survivors here in America, American girls. And then I realized, I said, I want to do that. I want to raise awareness here in America and how to keep our kids safe from being lured. And so I started um, training because I'd gone to graduate school. I went back to graduate school to learn about it. And then I um, developed a training on it, and I just started training. Community agencies, you know, schools, whoever would let me in the door, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. And my husband just says, good luck getting into schools, because he's a retired uh, military officer, but he was a principal at the time. And he was, good luck getting through the school. I got into schools. Mm-hmm. And um, I was grateful. And I, and I had a neighbor who was FBI watching me doing all this stuff, and she put me in for this award. They had no idea. That um, you know I was submitted for this award, and when I won it, just really helped our organization to move forward even more. And we had no organizations in our community at the time talking about this issue. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of like groundbreaking and opening up the community and opening the eyes. And once we were able to train nurses and train teachers on what the signs were, they were able to identify some students actually being trafficked. And these are middle-class families. Um, but what I, I have to circle back here a moment because I was so driven about passion is about this issue. And if you were to ask me at the time, I would have said, you know, I just feel like this is, this is injustice and this is horrible and something needs to be done with it. But I was sitting in a national human trafficking conference. And this was after I, I'd already been training for about a year or so. And they were giving a definition of child exploitation and human child trafficking. And this was the time it was just forming, so they were developing new terminologies, right? And when they gave the definition of child trafficking, it hit me between the eyes that I was a victim of that. Mm. And didn't know it oh. because mine was more in the form of, especially in the Philippines, with uh, child pornography. So I was a victim of that. So it, it just hit me, I'm like, oh my God, that's where my passion came from actually, mm-hmm. as a victim a survivor. Wow. Uh, and I did that for about seven years. I ran the nonprofit and then there were other nonprofits coming up and, you know, people training and stuff. And so I designed in 2017 to focus writing on the book, grandbabies mm-hmm. and things like that. So. Uh, I've been out of that work, although I've gone in at times, and people say, can you come and train? I have done that. I'm not doing that full-time anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my book, Tragically Taken, I had updated, and I have an anti-trafficking piece in there because so many foster kids are trafficked <sighs> out of the foster system. <sighs> so, you know, um, they're, they're just very vulnerable. And the system is set up, you know, for that to happen. Mm -hmm. So um, when I found that up, I I mean, like, it just, you know, the thread just kind of weaves. And we just don't realize how many children are vulnerable. When I was doing this anti trafficking work, I was reading a lot of material, and I have several survivor friends. And you know what the pimps say, the traffickers say? They thank family members. They thank the fathers, you know, the men. For grooming these girls, getting them ready for trafficking. And what people don't realize, you know, when kids are sexually abused, it's not a stranger danger, like we used to say all the time. Mm -hmm. Usually if you're a victim of uh, sexual abuse as a child, it's from a family member. Mm -hmm. Someone close to family. If not blood relative, it's um, a close member of the family. Mm -hmm. So someone you know. So, it's really, given the set of bright circumstances i could probably have easily when i think back even with all my confidence and everything traffickers know what to look on. they know what to look for in these vulnerable girls or boys and uh and they prey on that
0: wow there is so much to know about this there's i still think there's not enough awareness about this everybody every single person needs to know what to look out for just out in your everyday life not that you want to be suspect of people but
1: you do yeah everyone needs i would was everyone needs to be informed and then not only the family, and then the, the teams the students exactly. you know because they was the ones being targeted oh, but parents need to be you know well aware of and this whole thing like you know i'm raising my children right Nothing can happen. You'll just mm-hmm. be surprised. You can do everything right yeah. as a parent. You know, and that's why you've got to educate yourself and educate your children, sure. you know, what the time.
0: The work that you have done working in child trafficking prevention and then the writing of your books, I'm also certain that that has helped to heal you. Yeah, you know, I think, although I tell people when, you know,
1: they've been victims and now they're survivors and they're going through the healing. I let them know, you know, you have survived so much and if you just want to heal and live a fulfilled life, you have every right to do that. But I have to say there is something about when you go through, and I I have faith and I have given all this tragedy and everything to God and I trust Him to turn it towards something good. Not that it was good. It was horrible and it was hellish, right? But I can take that and I can help somebody walk through it. If I can, through my book, by sharing that story, open that up to someone who's going through it to let them know that they're not alone Mm -hmm. because you feel so alone. That in itself is huge. And to give them hope that, wow, she went through that, but yet she's living a life that looks like that and she's happy and she has a family. It's hope for me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, hope goes a long way, you know, in this journey. So yes, I, you know, and I'm fun. I'm sort of funny. My husband has stayed in careers like 20 years at a time, 20 years in the military, 21 years And if I don't stay in careers like that. <laughs> I, I kind of, <laughs> I, we laugh at it. I, I average maybe seven years and then I'm like, morphing into something different and shifting into something different. And um, God speaks to me a lot through dreams. And sometimes uh, I'll have a dream about something. And, I mean, I had a dream, just to show you, this whole thing about Africa. I had a dream years ago about being on the soil of Ash- Africa and rescuing kids. I had that in early 20s. And I finally lived that out in 2008. And so I believe in the things that the Spirit gives me, and I may have to wait for a season to prepare myself for it. Like, I went back to grad school in my 50s and learned all I could about human trafficking and and policy and everything before I launched the nonprofit on that. So I'm always learning. I I feel like we all have something to learn. We never stop growing and, and just keep developing. And I, I, I'm the variety, you know, spice of life, you know, I'm <laughs> person. I like I can get bored doing the same thing for seven years. And we need both kinds of people, right? I tell my husband, I said, we need sustained systems. I said, you go do that, but I'm going to go ahead here and do a beachhead and uh, blow up from
0: <laughs> over here. <laughs> yeah, like the seven-year itch, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well you know what there's so much to you and work that you have to do obviously in this lifetime so you got to keep moving and I love how inspiring you are and how honest and open so that you can help others I know that you have a couple free ebooks on your website and you also do coaching I mean you're out there to help people
1: I am I am I you know I am a life coach and and I, I bring in the dreams and the spiritual aspect of healing I, I, I find that the best blend of healing is both therapeutic, you know, the physical mind and also the spiritual aspect mm-hmm. of it. So I bring that into, because that's what I went through. And, uh, and I found it very, very, very healing and fruitful and sustaining. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I had a, and my therapist was that way. So I'm a coach. I'm not a therapist, but. I've done a lot of. I do a lot of healing. I did a lot of healing prayer ministry at one time. I don't do as much now, <clears throat> but I do that from time to time. I had two clients last week. I did some healing prayer, and it was it's a beautiful thing to see um, when the Holy Spirit really goes deep into their spirit and soul, and and uh, reaches that place where they don't feel like they belong, and He does a healing work mm. and showing them that they do belong. It's amazing to me. Oh. I just remember. It's miraculous. I don't know how else to describe else it to other disp- than that. Yeah. It is mir- it's, it's supernatural and miraculous. Um, yeah. And so it's so close to the holidays. I do want to bring this up. Holidays can be so hard for survivors, right? Because so often the abuse has happened with a family member. So, you know, sometimes you're going to the holidays and the, the person who abused you is still around and nobody's addressed it. So I do have on my blog... ChandraMoya.com, I've written a blog about how to handle the holidays as a survivor, you know, and giving people some tools. Um, because sometimes we feel obligated we need to go. So uh, anyone out there that's listening, please visit my blog and read that. That will help you get through the holidays. Um, it's the most, I, I, I say this, it's the most wonderful time of year to support survivors. So uh, for your listeners, I want to I want to ask them to consider gifting my book to a hurting friend and giving them hope for the holidays. Um, when I was going through my, I had suffered a lot of depression for the holidays. Literally shut down, mm-hmm. and didn't know why until I went through my healing. And that's when a lot of the abuse happened. That's when a lot more drinking happens, drug addiction, you know, mm-hmm. uh, drugs t- over the holidays. It's an uptick in domestic violence. So. That's why um, holidays can be very hard for those survivors. But we can manage and find tools and ways how to um, to create a holiday. I mean, I love the holidays now, but for many years it was very hard on I me mean, and hard for my kids because their mom was depressed, right? Mm-hmm. But I love the holidays now. Um, I hope my book will serve as a resource for anyone who has experienced childhood sexual abuse and those who know them. Uh, I believe that educators, counselors, and family members could benefit from my book. It's a story of freedom and the healing power of God's love. And most of all, I want survivors to know they're not alone and that there is new life and better life on the other side. They can thrive after
0: abuse. Wow. Thank you. That is beautiful. So I agree with you. A copy of your book... For anyone who knows of a family member, friends, whoever, to gift a copy of your book titled I Met Her Before, and you can find that at Chandra Moyer, C H A N D R C-H-A-N-D-R-A-M-O-Y-E-R, A M O Y E R, ChandraMoyer.com. And also on
1: Amazon as well.
0: Okay. Yes, that would be another good place too. Chandra Moyer, the book is titled I Met Her Before. All right, well, is there anything we missed then before we begin to wrap up?
1: Uh, I don't know if I mentioned one real quick thing. I do have discussion questions in the back of the book for those who are in book clubs and I would love to come in on a book club and discussion Then that to a couple with a couple of them. I'd love to I just love being around people. so whether I'm physically there or I can zoom in. Uh, those are some options as well.
0: Right. Excellent. ChandraMoyer.com. Thank you so much for just being so open, honest, vulnerable and sharing you with everybody. You're just a, a beacon of light. And so I so appreciate our conversation today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.